Section 41 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Abai in August 2014. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 5. Section 41. A Norwegian Dance by Jalma Jorth Boyesen, 1848-1895. Boyesen had thoroughly assimilated the spirit of his native Norway before he left it. In the small southern seaport of Fredericksvern he had lived the happy, adventurous boyhood depicted in those loving reminiscences, Boyhood in Norway. He knew the rugged little land and the sparkling fjords, his imagination had delighted in Necken and Hulder and Trolls, and all the charming fantastic sprites of the Northland. So, when he was far away during his bread-winning struggles in America, they grew clearer and dearer in perspective, and in Gunnar, A Norseman's Pilgrimage, Ilka on the Hilltop, and other delightful books, he bequeathed these memories to his adopted land. He came of well-to-do people and received a liberal education at the Gymnasium of Christiania, the University of Leipzig, and the University of Norway. His father, professor of mathematics at the Naval Academy, had made several trips to the United States and had been impressed by the opportunities offered there to energetic young men. Upon his urgent advice, Yalmar, when about twenty-one, came to America and soon obtained a position upon a Norwegian newspaper, the Fremad of Chicago. From childhood he had longed to write, but had been discouraged by his father, who expatiated upon the limitations of their native tongue and assured him that to succeed in literature he must be able to write in another language as readily as in his own. Even in school days he had shown a remarkable aptitude for languages, not only for understanding and speaking them, but for a sympathetic comprehension of foreign literatures and that sensitiveness to shades of expression which so rarely comes to any but a native. He now worked with all his energy to acquire English, not only as a necessary tool, but as the best medium for conveying his own thought. This whole-souled devotion to an adopted tongue was soon rewarded by a more spontaneous ease of expression than he possessed even in his native Norwegian. No one could guess from his poems that he was foreign to the speech in which he wrote them. Few even among those born and bred to its use have had such mastery of its capacities. He soon left the Fremad and began teaching Greek and Latin at the small Urbana University in Ohio. Thence he was called to Cornell University in 1874 as professor of German, and in 1880 to Columbia College, where later he became professor of German languages and literatures. He was a teacher of rare stimulus and charm. He had an attractive vigor of personality, his treatment of subjects was at once keenly analytic and very sympathetic, while his individual point of view was impressed in an easy and vivid style. 
the same qualities won for Boyesen a distinguished place in the lecture field, where he gave his audiences an exceptional combination of solid learning and graceful and lucid expression. A series on the Norse sagas at the Lowell Institute in Boston are still valued as Scandinavian studies. In critical work, of which these studies form a part, Professor Boyesen made his chief mark, as was natural, on the literature and legends of his native land. The best commentary on Ibsen yet published in English is his introduction to Ibsen's work. He manages to compress within the space of a very few pages the pith of the great Anarch's social ideas and the character of his dramatic work. His Goethe and Schiller is also excellent. In pure letters, his earliest poems collected into Idyls of Norway and his early stories of Norse life, of which Gunnar was first and best, were never surpassed by him in later life, if indeed they were equalled. The best powers of his mind were gradually drawn into fields which solidified and broadened his intellect, but checked the free inspiration and romantic feeling of youth. In gauging his merit as a creative artist, we must set aside all but the work of these few enthusiastic years. An important part of this change must be credited to the influence of the Russian novelists and their American disciples. Whatever may be the final verdict on Turgenev and Tolstoy, their tremendous effect on American literature is one of the most striking facts in our recent literary history. Its value is a more dubious matter according to the point of view. Boyesen met Turgenev in Paris and was deeply impressed by him. He also became intimate with W. D. Howells and, through the influence of the latter, became an ardent disciple of Tolstoy. The result was to transform the romanticist of Gunnar, steeped in the legends of old Norway, creating a fairyland atmosphere about him and delighting to live in the ideal, into a so-called realist, setting himself to the task of brushing away all illusions and painting life as sterile and unpicturesque as it is in its meanest, most commonplace conditions. To do this, he claimed, was the stern function of the author. To help his readers to self-acknowledge, although it might lessen their happiness, was the greatest service he could render them. He succeeded. The best comment on the theory and the practice alike is that Gunnar lives and its realistic successors do not, and indeed never did, and that much the same may be said of the corresponding epochs of other American novelists' work, with a few exceptions where native genius was too strong to be spoiled even by a vicious artistic principle. The Mammon of Unrighteousness and The Golden Calf belong to the second half of Boyesen's work. A high place must be given, however, to his stories for boys in the children's magazines, principally on Norwegian themes. These are among the best of their kind, spirited, wholesome, strong in plot and workmanship, and containing some examples of his most perfect style. Even the more slender juvenile tales have passages of the finest poetic spirit and a charm scarcely equalled in his more ambitious work. He won some laurels as a dramatist. Alpine Roses were successfully acted in New York in 1883, and Ilka on the Hilltop, 
taken from his story of that name, in 1884. Although he was in complete sympathy with the American life and character, and wished to make them his own, Professor Boyesen was never quite an American. His descriptions of life in the United States are therefore always the result of a foreigner's observation. His generous humanity appeals to all races, however, and his books have been successfully translated into German, Russian, and Norwegian. For years he had been collecting matter for an extensive history of Scandinavian literature, a task for which his nationality, his scholarship, and his mastery of the English language especially fitted him. His sudden death at forty-seven prevented its accomplishment, and perhaps deprived him of a still wider and solider fame. A Norwegian Dance From Gunnar They all hurried back to the hall. Gudrun might well wish to ask questions, but she dared not, for she felt the truth, but was afraid of it. They could not help seeing, when they entered the hall, that many curious glances were directed toward them. But this rather roused in both a spirit of defiance. Therefore, when Gunnar was requested to begin the stave, he chose Ranghild for his partner, and she accepted. True, he was a houseman's son, but he was not afraid. There was a giggling and a whispering all round, as hand in hand they stepped out on the floor. Young and old, lads and maidens, thronged eagerly about them. Had she not been so happy, perhaps she would not have been so fair. But as she stood there in the warm flush of the torchlight, with her rich blonde hair waving down over her shoulders, and with that veiled brightness in her eyes, her beauty sprang upon you like a sudden wonder, and her presence was inspiration. And Gunnar saw her, she loved him, what cared he for all the world beside? Proudly he raised his head and sang. Gunnar, there standeth a birch in the lightsome lee. Ranghild, in the lightsome lee. Gunnar, so fair she stands in the sunlight free. Ranghild, in the sunlight free. Both, so fair she stands in the sunlight free. Ranghild, High up on the mountain there standeth a pine, Gunnar, there standeth a pine, Ranghild, so stanchly grown and so tall and fine, Gunnar, so tall and fine, Both, so stanchly grown and so tall and fine, Gunnar, a maiden I know as fair as the day, Ranghild, as fair as the day, Gunnar, she shines like the birch in the sunlight's play, Ranghild, in the sunlight's play. Both, she shines like the birch in the sunlight's play. Ranghild, I know a lad in the spring's glad light. Gunnar, in the spring's glad light. Ranghild, far seen as the pine on the mountain height. Gunnar, on the mountain height. Both, far seen as the pine on the mountain height. Gunnar, so bright and blue are the starry skies. Ranghild, the starry skies. Gunnar, but brighter and bluer that maiden's eyes. Ranghild, that maiden's eyes. Both, but brighter and bluer that maiden's eyes. Ranghild, 
and his have a depth like the fjord i know gunnar the fjord i know ragnhild wherein the heavens their beauty show gunnar their beauty show both wherein the heavens their beauty show gunnar the birds each morn seek the forest glade ragnhild the forest glade gunnar so flock my thoughts to that lily maid ragnhild that lily maid both so flock my thoughts to that lily maid ragnhild the moss it clingeth so fast to the stone gunnar so fast to the stone ragnhild so clingeth my soul to him alone gunnar to him alone both so clingeth my soul to him alone gunnar each brook sings its song but forever the same ragnhild forever the same gunnar forever my heart beats that maiden's name ragnhild that maiden's name both forever my heart beats that maiden's name ragnhild the plover hath but an only tone gunnar an only tone ragnhild my life hath its love and its love alone gunnar its love alone both my life hath its love and its love alone gunnar the rivers all to the fjord they go ragnhild to the fjord they go gunnar so may our lives then together flow ragnhild together flow both oh may our lives then together flow here gunnar stopped made a leap toward ragnhild caught her round the waist and again danced off with her while a storm of voices joined in the last refrain and loud shouts of admiration followed them for this was a staff that was good for something long time it was since so fine a staff had been heard on this side of the mountains soon the dance became general and lasted till after midnight then the sleigh bells and the stamping of hoofs from without reminded the merry guests that night was waning there stood the well-known swan-shaped sleigh from henjum and the man on the box was atle himself ragnhild and gudrun were hurried into it the whip cracked and the sleigh shot down over the star-illumined fields of snow the splendor of the night was almost dazzling as gunnar came out from the crowded hall and again stood under the open sky a host of struggling thoughts and sensations thronged upon him he was happy oh so happy at least he tried to persuade himself that he was but strange to say he did not fully succeed was it not toward this day his yearnings had pointed and about which his hopes had been clustering from year to year ever since he had been old enough to know what yearning was was it not this day which had been beckoning him from afar and had shed light upon his way like a star and had he not followed its guidance as faithfully and as trustingly as those wise men of old folly and nonsense muttered he the night breeds nightly thoughts with an effort he again brought ragnhild's image before his mind jumped upon his skis and darted down over the glittering snow it bore him toward the fjord a sharp chill wind swept up the hillside and rushed against him houseman's son 
cried the wind. Onward he hastened. Houseman's son, howled the wind after him. Soon he reached the fjord, hurried on up toward the river mouth, and, coming to the Henyum boathouse, stopped and walked out to the end of the pier, which stretched from the headland some twenty to thirty feet out into the water. The fjord lay sombre and restless before him. There was evidently a storm raging in the ocean, for the tide was unusually high, and the sky was darkened from the west eastward. The mountain peaks stood there, stern and lofty as ever, with their heads wrapped in hoods of cloud. Gunnar sat down at the outer edge of the pier, with his feet hanging listlessly over the water, which, in slow and monotonous plashing, beat against the timbers. Far out in the distance he could hear the breakers roar among the rocky reefs, first the long, booming roll, then the slowly waning moan, and the great hush in which the billows pause to listen to themselves. It is the heavy, deep-drawn breath of the ocean. It was cold, but Gunnar hardly felt it. He again stepped into his skis and followed the narrow road as it wound its way from the fjord up along the river. Down near the mouth, between Henjum and Rimul, the river was frozen and could be crossed on the ice. Up at Henjumhe it was too swift to freeze. It was near daylight when he reached the cottage. How small and poor it looked! Never had he seen it so before, very different from Rimul and how dark and narrow it was all around it. At Rimul they had always sunshine. Truly the track is steep from Henjumhe to Rimul, the river runs deep between. End of section 41